Hello, thanks for joining us for worship today. My name is Michaela, and I'm thankful to be a part of the Heritage team. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we are so glad that you are here with us today. As a church, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. So today, we invite you to worship with us in song, prayer, and teaching. Feel free to engage however is most comfortable for you. We believe that God has something to say to you today. So if this is your first time joining us for service, or if you have any questions, prayer requests, or want to talk to one of our pastors, please go to heritageqc.com connect, and someone from the pastoral team will contact you soon. We are excited and expectant for what God is going to do in our time together. So let's lift our voice as we worship Him today. Can you help us out? Here we go. That's it.
Amen. He's worthy of all the praise, all the glory. Let's lift him up. It's only the name of Jesus that's above every other name. Sing this. One name, one name holds every victory. One voice that silences the enemy. One king who reigns for all eternity. Jesus, Jesus. That name's worthy of being praised this morning, isn't it? Come on, I want to hear you guys sing with all you got this time. One name, the name of Jesus. One name, one name holds every victory. One voice that silences the enemy. One king who reigns for all eternity.
Hey, it's great to see each of you here and uh, great to be able to worship together. I mean, does it get any better than a baptism Sunday? I mean, that is awesome. And uh, to be able to celebrate 10 baptisms across our network, just got done uh, being at uh, Bettendorf and they, at their 10 o'clock service, had uh, a, a child, a student, uh, a college student, and an adult all get baptized. And so it just is illustrative of, of how you know, broad and God can get a hold of someone's life and just to celebrate what Jesus is doing in our midst. I am so excited uh, about that. Uh, if we have not had a chance to interact, my name is Josh. I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff uh, at Heritage. And uh, every so often I'll say something like, Heritage, you are my tribe. And that's truly, that, that, is, that is true. <laughs> I mean, I, I've served on staff here for five and a half years, but uh, this is my home church, attended from age one to age 18, profoundly impacted by the ministry at Heritage. And so I really love you, and I, I love this community of believers, and it is such a joy to be able to serve uh, as one of the pastors now uh, so many years later. Um, so want to just, uh, just say that. Also, um, the last time I preached, I did an introduction <clears throat> that had nothing to do with anything that I talked about later, and I'm going to do that again today because I need to give you a little bit of an update, okay? Uh, last time I talked with you, uh, I gave you an update on some of the pranks that had been happening in uh, the cubicle world, and I do have a bit of an update for you today. Um, yes, that's the, that's the first picture. We'll hang on that for a second. Um, uh, one of the things that had been happening is staff members had been pranking me, um, but this prank that I'm about to walk you through was done by a Heritage family that was smuggled into Bridgepoint by a Heritage staff member, okay? So this is a different, this is a whole different set of things that's happening. It happened to be a Bettendorf family who are Cub fans. <clears throat> um, and, and I just happened to be, for record, uh, a Cardinal fan. And so, yes, that's good. It was way more divide, it was way more uh, cub heavy at Bettendorf. I was, I felt very alone over there. Um, but anyway, so uh, this family went in overnight uh, and, uh, you know, I had to, there, there is a C there. I don't know if you caught that right away or not. Um, C could stand for cubs and cardinals. So I'm not sure that that really landed uh, with me because I just looked at it a different way. But then when you push through uh, some of the things that they did, next picture, is that's, that's terrible. That, that is terrible, that is bad. Uh, Yoda would never be a Cub fan, he's too wise, too, too tuned into the force uh, for that. Uh, okay, let me, let me, uh, let me hold on, I'll, I'll give the context there for a minute. So the emblems that they put on the chest there, they put everywhere, okay? They put, they put it under the desk, they, they put it under my chair, they put it between books. And, and what they've told me is the goal is that a year from now, I would find those things still. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, the next picture then is, uh, this is Fredbird Redbird. This is the cardinal mascot, a stuffed animal that I have. And they put him in a cage. You may not be able to tell, but they zip tied it shut. Uh, so I had to get scissors to get, get him out of that mess. He is free now, thankfully. Um, and then let me give you a pano of the whole entire picture, all right? So it's bad. Like, so they, they all the way down to like, I had a jar of pencils that they took out and they put cub pencils in and they messed with my books again. Ugh. And then the, the last thing that they did um, that I'm still dealing with, honestly, is glitter everywhere. Glitter 
everywhere. And so just last week I came home, my wife Melissa was like, you've got some glitter on your neck. Yeah, uh, it, this, it's floating in my cubicle now. Like it, I can't get rid of it, it's just there. So anyway, Cub fans rejoice, Cardinal fans mourn. Neither, of the, neither team are playing super well right now, but the Cardinals are in front of the Cubs currently, so there we go. All right, um, that is my intro that has nothing to do with anything. Let's actually talk about something of substance. We have been in the midst of the Christ the Victor series. Pastor Jeremiah did a great job of launching us into that series last weekend, and I, get, I have the privilege of landing the plane this weekend where we talk about the victory of Jesus. It is so appropriate that we talk about this right after Easter. And one of the things that maybe you've picked up about me, if you've heard me preach for, you know, I, I, you know however many times, but one of the things, one of my spiritual pathways is, is to connect with God through the liturgical year, through the church calendar. That is a pathway, it's not the pathway. Some of you grew up in a highly liturgical church and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm never going back. That's great, I totally get it. I grew up here, there wasn't a lot of liturgy, and so when I found it, I was really, I found a star for it and and really latched onto it. One of the things that I love about the liturgical year is that there is this yearly rhythm of diving into the story of Jesus year after year after year, and that every time you dive in, your circumstances are different based on life, based on what's going on, but the story of Jesus remains unchanged, but it has, you, you can go deeper each time that you interact with it. And the the other thing that I love about the liturgical year, specifically what it does with Easter, is that a lot of times we celebrate Easter as a one-day event when it really, the ripple is profound, it's broad, it's wide, and the liturgical year calls for uh, an Easter-tide season. Basically, from Easter to Pentecost, you're, you're supposed to be thinking about resurrection, and it's this reminder that Easter cannot be contained in a day, that the power of the resurrection cannot be contained in, in a small box, that it really takes a, a large volume of time to really unpack what is it that, that has happened here, and to remember that we are victorious through the power of the resurrection. So I love that, and it's deeply appropriate then that we are looking at Christ the victor, to look at how has Jesus won the battle, what has he won, and what is the ripple and the implications for us now. And today, really, we're going to be centering our attention on Jesus as the victor over sin. And so the way, kind of as a roadmap, the way that I'm kind of structuring today is I'm going to just kind of throw three small statements of truth your way about Jesus and about us. Then I'm going to give some scripture and some implications to consider and to think about. And my prayer is that when we get to the end of this, we'll be encouraged and, and empowered by, by the, the gifts that the Lord has laid upon us and that this would be an enriching thing for us to journey through together. So the very first truth statement that I want to kind of Uh, submit to you for consideration is actually, uh, it's a statement that you've probably heard many, many times if you've been in church for any length of time. Statement goes like this, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. And the implication for us is profound, that faith in Jesus results in the complete forgiveness of our sins. Listen to how Paul writes about this. This is such beautiful language. Let this wash over you. Where it said, he says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, uh, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He, and I love this, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
Now, I, I love this language, um, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about this in a minute, but I think it probably would be good to just press pause for a second and talk specifically about the word sin, because we probably should get on the same page as to what this is. In fact, somebody recently uh, sent a connection card in or called the church office and, and sort of asked the question, why doesn't Heritage talk about sin? And, you know, my response to questions like that are, well, it's probably, you know, depending on which tradition you come from or what your church background is, every tradition, every church talks about it and leverages it in different ways. It might just be a difference of language. I do think we talk about sin, but, but maybe we need to be more, a little bit more spe- specific today um, and, and to talk about some of the definitions around it. Heritage is never going to handle sin from a judgmental or, or a legalistic way. That's just not who we are. It's never really been as, for as long as I remember who we are. And, and so maybe we should just put some definition around this so that we know. It is important to understand the gravity of sin. It, it is important that we understand what it is. I've heard so many definitions over the years, some of which probably you have heard if you've been in church world for a while as well. One of the standard definitions is this idea of willful disobedience to God's plan for your life as laid out in the scriptures. I've heard the the phrase um, falling short of God's intended purpose for our lives. I've heard that uh, connected to sin as well. Those are helpful. Those are true. But there there is a a, a New Testament scholar. His name is N.T. Wright. Um, that I'm kind of a fanboy of, to be honest with you. Uh, I just love what he produces. And he's given me two different ways to view uh, sin that I, I have been really helpful to me personally. So I'm going to pass them along to you. Maybe they're helpful, maybe they're not. I don't know. But here's the first thing that he would say, that, that sin is when we make anything in our lives more important than God. So, so right is connecting idolatry and sin. And, you know, it's idolatry is when you make an idol of something that never should have had that power in your life to begin with. That is, that is idolatry. And, and Wright would say that that is, that is sin. And we can, we can do this in any number of ways, right? We, there's a thousand different ways that we can put something uh, in, in the place of God or above God in our lives. We can do that through, you know, our own personal preferences or opinions or, or just us. We can do that with another person in our lives. We can do that with power or wealth or sex or pleasure or material items or, or even just being right. Like, we can make an idol of a lot of different things. And, and when we do, when we do put something above God in stature, that is a great definition of sin. We are living in a way that God would not intend because God always intended for him to be the chief the, the chief driving influence and power source and authority source in our lives. Now, N.T. Wright also says this, kind of as a, another layer to this discussion. He says that sin is anything that diminishes us as a human being. Sin is anything that diminishes us as a human being or anything that, that we would do that would diminish another person around us. And again, I, I think this is helpful language just to understand. Like, you, you know, a, a big part of the diminishing that, that happens is that it's a diminishment of us as an image of God-bearing human being, that sin obscures that in our life and, and to be aware of the dynamics of what's going on. Now, a big part of that diminishing is that sin fractures our relationship with God, leads us into spiritual death, which Paul writes about. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal to understand it, to understand the consequences of it, to understand how to live free of it. It's a big deal. Now, praise be to God that God saw the state of humanity, saw 
that, that we were fractured and we were broken by our sinfulness and, and showed mercy on us by sending his son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, literally, Paul even kind of stated it in that passage. Our sin was crucified on the cross with Jesus, thus eliminating its power to dictate our spiritual direction anymore, eliminating its power to continue to diminish us as humans on an ongoing basis. The cross of Jesus is, it's not only the place where God's love is most clearly made manifest, but, but it is the place where sin is defeated once and for all. Praise be to God for that. Now there's a word picture that, that King David uses in the Psalms, and I wanna pass it along to you. I love this language. It's in Psalm 103, verse 12. It goes like this. He, God, has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's beautiful, picturesque language. What I love is that Paul doesn't say uh, he has removed our sins as far as the north is from the south, right? Because if you hop in a plane and you go due north, you'll get to the North Pole, you'll wave hi to Santa Claus, and then all of a sudden you're going south again. Like there are, there are places in the world where north meets south and, 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 and that's just reality. So he doesn't use that language. What he uses instead is east and west. If you hop on a plane, go due east and you just go due east, uh, you're never gonna run into west unless you literally turn around. You, you will just keep going east as long as you have fuel or energy or run forest run kind of a thing, I, I don't know. Like you just, you just keep going and there is no end to it. There's no place where west meets east. Thus, when, when David uses this picture, it's really quite powerful when you consider that that is how God uses, or that, that is how God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It's like a, a Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond thing. Like, it, it, there, there is no meeting. It, it just, for, I mean, it is stunning to think about, really. It's, it's almost overwhelming to think about. And, and this is one of the significant implications of the cross, that when we say that Jesus died for us, we are saying that Jesus provided a pathway of forgiveness and life and freedom that we would not have been able to supply on our own merit. We would have never been able to do this on our own. And in his grace, Jesus made a way. And one of my favorite hymns of all time, the chorus goes like this. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen and amen. Praise be to God for the pathway that we have in Jesus. Now, listen, we certainly appreciate that Jesus died for us, but there's more layers in the story. And I wanna give you a second true statement because not only did Jesus die for us, but Jesus also lived and died with us. Jesus lived and died with us. The great name for Jesus, which we use so often at Christmas time, is Emmanuel, right? God with us. That, that Jesus lived the perfect human life. He did not dodge suffering. He did not try to avoid it or did not shy away from it. Very God of very God, imagine this, actually shed tears. That he actually had his heart broken by human betrayal, that he actually understood disappointment or loneliness. He understood physical hardship. I mean, he did not shy away from the dynamic of suffering. And I think understanding this is profound for us. And the big impl implication is that through Jesus, we find the strength and hope to carry on in the midst of our fallen world.
Now, you don't have to read in the paper very long or look at the news very long to see we do, in fact, live in a pretty messed up, broken world. Human suffering is, it's everywhere, and human suffering has, has for ages stood as one of the big roadblocks for many people coming to have faith in Jesus. And I think it's not just a, you know, it's, it's a broad question. I think even us in church will ask this question of like, why would God allow this to happen, right? Why, why would God allow what's going on in Ukraine to happen? Or, or maybe a more personal question, why would God allow this particular diagnosis to drop in my family? Or, or this job situation to drop in my family? Why, why would God allow for this to happen? And it's curious to me, but the scriptures really don't resolve the why question. Really what the scriptures do is they continue, they continue to point us to the character and heart and goodness and faithfulness of God, and they continue to ask us to trust. And the, the scriptures continue to, to ask us to trust that God will eventually come and make all things right. God will eventually come and make sense of it all. But in the meantime, we, we persevere, we press through, we trust. Now, personally, when I look at the scriptures, I think that the cross of Jesus is actually maybe the most definitive response of God to the question of suffering. That doesn't quite answer the why but, but it's this amazing picture of God himself entering into the human condition, into the fallenness, into the pain, into the loneliness, into the brokenness. And it reminds us that while we still might be carrying around hurt and disappointment in our own lives, Jesus, our Savior, has experienced the same hardships that, that we have. He has experienced the same things that we've gone through. And yet Jesus remained faithful to the very end as such we can too, by his power. I, uh, I was talking with uh, one of our star volunteers, gold star volunteer. Her name is Sandy. Uh, she gave me permission to share out of her story. She comes into Bridgepoint every Monday or Tuesday morning and, and does a, a number of tasks for us. She's just a great, great lady. And she pulled me into one of our side rooms about two weeks ago and uh, shared a little bit of her story. And she gave me a little bit of context by telling me that for years, she has really struggled with panic attacks, like really hardcore, debilitating panic attacks where it, it comes on suddenly. When it comes on, it comes on really strong. There is no, she can't answer a lot of questions about it, like why it comes or how long it'll stay or, or any of that stuff. She just knows that when she's in the midst of it, it's the worst feeling in the world for her and that she even struggles to get out of bed in the morning. She just really really has, has wrestled with this dynamic in her life. And so she went on to explain, Josh, I've, I've really tried to manage it. You know, I've, I've done therapy and I've done medicine and I've done exercise and I've done faith and I've, I've done all of that, all of that. And it's, it's worked. And it's, it's been a number of years really since I've had a deep debilitating panic attack. But right at the beginning of Holy Week this year, she describes that one came on suddenly, no warning, no reason, she just got hit with it really hard and struggled with it that whole week. Uh, had a hard time even getting out of bed. Definitely had a hard time getting out of her house. And she gets to Friday and she has just the sense that she needs to get to one of our Good Friday services. And so she musters up all of her courage. She prays up all of her courage. 
gets into the car, even though it's the last thing she wants to do, deals with traffic. She doesn't want to do that. She gets to Bridgepoint. I, I remember her walking in. I gave her a hug. Had no idea about the internal battle that was going on within her. And, and she went then and engaged with the Stations of the Cross. And she proceeds to tell me that uh, as she interacted with the Stations of the Cross, that at each station, as she reflected upon the price that Jesus paid for the forgiveness of her sins, as she reflected upon each painful aspect of that journey, that she started to notice within her this kind of growing miracle that her panic was slowly dissipating through each station. It's like it just sort of leaked out as she journeyed through these stations until she gets ironically to the last station, which was an empty tomb. It was a resurrection station. And she describes that the, the panic was just completely removed at that point. It was gone. And that she was able to enjoy Easter weekend, both here and, and with her family. And, and then when she talked to me a week later, it was still completely gone. That the panic had not returned. And I praise the Lord for that on her behalf. But friends, there is something supernatural that can happen when we enter into the struggle and pain of the story of Jesus's journey to the cross in the same way that there was something supernatural that happened when Jesus entered into our story, into our pain, into our journey, when he allowed himself to be wrapped up in human flesh and came and lived among us. It reminds me of something that Peter writes that I think is, is so, so helpful. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partner with Christ in his suffering so that you, catch this, will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. I, uh, I talked with another person uh, here at Heritage. Again, I got permission to share this. Uh, he was going through the membership process and was giving his testimony, and. He, uh, he walked me through the heartbreaking story of how uh, there was a point in his journey a, a few years ago where he just completely walked away from faith. And it was because he had a close friend in his life commit suicide, and he could not, he could not reconcile how that could happen and God be present in the situation. He just couldn't see it, so he walked away. And he proceeded to tell me through his testimony about the goodness of God uh, you know, while, while this person had given up on God, God never gave up on this person and continued to connect the dots, continued to put people in his life, put him in contact, even, even here at Heritage, uh, with people, and, and that his faith was slowly over time restored and, and that he began to really see the goodness of God again. And, and, and I, I, love, I love that he shared that story because it, it's such a great reminder to all of us that, that even even if your story is full of pain right now, just know that if you're still breathing, God is not done writing your story. Even if you're in the midst of pain, that pain does not have to be the defining moment of your journey. Certainly, that might inform your future, but it does not have to define your future. And, and, and God can, in a way that only he can, can, can take something that just appears so painful and so broken and so messed up from the outside and weave it into a pattern of beauty and goodness. I mean, that's what resurrection does. It takes something awful like death and then breathes new life 
and new beauty into it. Through Jesus, we can find strength and hope to carry on in the midst of our fallen and sinful world. That can happen because Jesus lived and died with us. We have a Savior that knows what it means to walk through pain, and yet he still overcame. And friends, in Jesus, you can overcome as well. We can live victorious in the midst of this sinful world. So we've looked at at two kind of statements. Let me wrap it up with a third. We've looked at how Jesus died for us. Jesus lived and died with us. Here's the final statement, and that's to say that Jesus lives in us. Jesus lives in us. Listen, Listen to this passage of Scripture written by Paul. It's found in Romans 8, which pound for pound is probably my favorite chapter in all of the Scriptures. Let this minister to you. It says this, and Christ lives within you. So even, even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Listen to this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Friends, here's the implication Through Holy Spirit-given resurrection power, we can experience victory over sin now, immediately, in this life. We, we We don't have to wait for heaven in order to find victory. When we say that Christ is the victor over sin, we can also say that that we who are in Christ can also be victorious over sin. Here's the reality, though. Until Jesus comes and sets all things right, we live in a sinful and broken world. We see that. But that doesn't mean we have to live as fallen and broken and defeated people. We can be lifted up through the power of Jesus, through the power of Holy Spirit that lives within us and live victorious lives now. Now, Heritage is attached to a denomination called the Wesleyan Church. One of the things I so appreciate about Wesleyan theology is that we are deeply optimistic about God's ability to transform us into the image of Jesus in this life. It's not something we have to wait for. It's something that we can experience now, that we believe Jesus came to provide a pathway to abundant life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Jesus who lives within each of us who believe. We believe that that we have access to a power that enables us to say no to temptation. We believe we have access to a power that enables us to live free of addiction. We have access to a power that can help us be a conduit of God's love to our neighbor or to our community or, or to this world. We believe that we have access to power through the Spirit who lives and indwells in us as believers. And that, friends, is such good news for us. Now listen, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of draw a line there. I'm not going to say much more, but I do want to say this, that next week we're launching into a brand new teaching series all about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about, you know, who the Holy Spirit is and, and how the Spirit operates and, and you know, some of those things. We're, it, it's going to be great. And I'm super excited about it because we are discerning that, that God wants to open up the floodgates here at Heritage with Holy Spirit power to give freedom and life 
through the power of the Spirit to this congregation, that, that there is a, you know, that, that we would actually be brilliant signposts of, of God's power to our community, that we would sh- shine brightly His love and His mercy and His truth. And, and I, I, I'm excited to see what God's going to do, but, but it starts with us as individuals. It starts with each of us surrendering to the Spirit's leading. And I think the word dependence is such a huge word for us as individuals right now. Are we dependent upon the Spirit's power and leading in our lives? I've, uh, over the last six or seven months, I've been interacting with a spiritual director, which is, it's not counseling per se, but it's somebody, it's, it's actually a pastor in California that I've been meeting with on Zoom once a month for about an hour, we'll sit, he'll pray over me, I'll kind of talk through what God's been teaching me, and then we'll just kind of feed back and have a, a spiritual conversation, which usually ends with him giving some, some kind of things to be focusing on in prayer or in scripture or, or whatever. It's, it's been deeply, deeply impactful to me. And in our last connection, which was a couple of weeks ago, I could tell uh, that, that he was picking up on some language that I was using to describe the frustration that I was feeling about me, like my, my own internal frustration with myself. I, I tend to be much kinder to other people than I am to me. And there, there's just some perfectionistic tendencies in there. there there's, there's just stuff in there. And, and so one of the questions that he asked me was, Josh, why do you feel so much pressure to get everything right? Why, why do you feel so much pressure for that? And I remember kind of going into a, a kind of an extended answer of like, well, if I mess this up or if I mess this up or if I'm not kind of squared away here, doesn't that like show that I'm broken inside somehow or that there's like something that's like, you know, not right within me? And, and like I kind of went on and on with this answer and he just stopped me dead in my tracks and just said, oh, so what you're saying is that you need Jesus, <laughs> basically. Yeah, wow, like I, I shut up immediately and I remember like the, the, the tears kind of just welled up in my eyes and, and I, I could tell immediately what he was trying to communicate to me is that in my own human striving, in, in my own focus on what I can do as a human, that, that I was paying way more attention to to what I could provide, what I could do, than I was on the reality that I, even as a believer for so many years, I still need the continual grace of Jesus to show up in my life. I need him. I need to be dependent on him. If I'm not, things go sour so fast. And and what I'm recognizing is that the enemy attempts to keep me in self-doubt, even some self-loathing, some self-criticism, and all the while, I just need to rest peacefully in the knowledge that I am forgiven, that I am a son of the living God, that I am free, that, that I would just fully depend upon and trust in the power of Jesus to finally just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you have me in this. Now, friends, I don't know where that lands on you. I don't know where your story is taking you right now, but my guess is that all of us need the reminder that God is good, that God is in favor of you, and that God has you, regardless of the circumstance that you face. And so I want you just to receive that and sit with that and allow Holy Spirit to minister to you in the midst of it. Jesus died for us. Jesus lived and died with us. 
Jesus lives in us. And because of that, we know we can be forgiven. We know that we can live with perseverance in a a very difficult world. And we know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within each of us. That we can be dependent on him for power. That, That Jesus has you wherever you are in your journey. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you that, that, Lord, you saw kind of the state of affairs on earth and took action on our behalf. So I thank you that there is a pathway to forgiveness. There is a pathway to, to freedom. I thank you that you conquered sin once and for all. I thank you that you remove sin as far as the east is from the west from our lives, that we don't have to be haunted or plagued by shame or guilt anymore. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us what we need in order to persevere through hardship, through pain, through struggle. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that when you concluded your, your human earthly ministry on earth, that you did not leave us alone to fend for ourselves, but sent your life-giving, resurrected, resurrecting, resurrection power-bearing Holy Spirit to reside in us and to give us what we need each and every day. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand if you're able as we continue to worship with song?
service this has been. If something during the service struck a chord with you, or you'd like to have someone pray with you or have a follow-up question, I'd encourage you to go to heritageqc.com connect, and one of us from the pastoral team will reach out to you. That's also a great way to find out which groups, classes, and events we are currently offering. If you have been impacted by this service, 
we'd encourage you to consider partnering with us by giving to the Ministry of Heritage Church, which makes programs like this possible. One of the easiest ways to do this is by going to heritageqc.com give. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and we will see you next week. One name, one name, come on, builds every village.